Van der Leyen, I have uh, Michelle Murphy, Research and Policy Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. Good morning, Michelle. How are you? Good morning, Noel. I'm very well, thanks. Okay, it's been a while since we talked, but um, has things improved at all? That's the first thing I have to say. They keep, I mean, I'm sick of the phrase that uh, recovery is, keep the recovery going. Have things improved in any way? Well, I suppose if you look at the overall picture, there's two stories really going on. I mean, yes, our GDP is growing and jobs, particularly high-skilled jobs, are being created. But if you look at the overall picture, I mean, there's an extra 12,000 children living in poverty this year as opposed to last year. We have over one million people experiencing material deprivation, three-quarters of a million people in poverty. You have 110,000 people who are long-term unemployed. And the reality is that, yes, we do have an economic recovery in the broadest sense, but are we having a real recovery? And I don't think people are feeling it. And the other thing that we have to remember is Ireland has been very lucky. You know, the exchange rates are rock bottom for the euro at the moment. Interest rates are incredibly low. Oil prices are very low. So that's really helping our exports. But if any of that changed, we would be in a very different position. So... You know, you do hear, um, you know, the phrase, keep the recovery going. But I think if you just ask the average citizen, do they feel the recovery? I would say a lot of them are saying no, not yet. And particularly for those people living in poverty or older people living on their own, Mm -hmm. uh, people with disabilities in particular, and especially those who are long-term unemployed, they really are, those groups of people really are in danger of being left behind because what we're not hearing in all the discussion you know, in the past number of weeks and coming up to the election, is what anybody is really going to do for those groups of people and how we're going to ensure that the recovery reaches them. You know, there's a, um, I think, uh, is it Fine Gael? I've heard a lot of Fine Gael ministers saying, you know, if we just keep on creating jobs, then we can get the money for services, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But that's the trickle-down theory. That has never worked. It will never work. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, people want services and people need services. You know, they need people need a health service, an education service, childcare facilities. We need community care, step-down care, primary care centres. We need broadband in rural areas. We need social housing. I mean, it doesn't matter how many jobs you create, you're never going to generate the revenue for mm-hmm. that. But you need to look at investing in those areas now, yeah, not waiting. If you think, well, the first thing I want to say about that when they say, when they keep using the phrase is that they should be saying that across yeah. Europe because we depend so much, as you say, yeah. on what happen, happens and everything is, is, is sort of shaky to the extent nothing is guaranteed. Anything can happen within six months. So it's a, it's a bad phrase to be using as far as I'm concerned. I'm sort of sick listening to it. And then when they did have what you're talking about, the boom times, when they did have all this going on, they didn't do much, very much with the money that they had in regards of the people on the ground? No. Or the no, services. and you're right. We're very much, um, you know, reliant on what is happening in Europe. And that's something that people really need to remember. We, You know, we're signed up to all those European agreements, the Stability and Growth Pact, the Fiscal Compact, which, 
you know, you have to meet targets every year in terms of your debt reduction and there's targets in there uh, and limits to uh, expenditure and multi-annual expenditure. So we are subject to all of that. And secondly, we don't have a good track record in this um, country of doing real investment in services. We certainly didn't solve our problems in the boom times or the Celtic Tiger years because there wasn't actually any foresight put into, you know, what services would you need in five years, ten years? putting money into the infrastructure that people need and want. You know, we we were just sold, uh, people were promised tax cuts, and yet again, we, you know, it's tax cuts, tax cuts. But tax cuts won't deliver childcare for Mm. uh, working families. They won't deliver step-down care for an elderly person in a hospital bed. They won't just deliver services for the child or the adult with the disability. They won't deliver uh, decent public transport services. They won't deliver a health service, and they won't deliver broadband. That is the reality, Mm. because regardless of how much that means to you and how much extra you get in your pocket whether it's two three five euros a week you are still going to have to go out and buy your services so they're not being provided by the state so i think it's disappointing to see again you know everybody scrambling on the the tax cut argument and i suppose if you look at the track record even of just the the present or government of the past five years you know, who has actually really borne the brunt of the decisions that they've made? And it's those on the lowest incomes, those with disabilities, elderly people living alone, children, lone parents, uh, and those on low incomes, really, mm-hmm. and those reliant on public service. Well, they, I, those people... Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. Can I ask, you use a great word there that I've been arguing over years and years and years of the, the lack in, in sub- subsequent governments is foresight. And yep. it's it's pretty evident in everyday life for the past mm-hmm. 40 years and where it was lacking. Yep. But can I ask you a question from someone that's on the ground? Another thing that bugs me about them when they're talking, and it's about the, the wages structure, and they're always talking in the 50, 60, 70,000 most of the time. Yep. And yet, do they not do any uh, sort of research and all, and actually what the reality is for people in working class areas and what their actual annual wage is yeah. and the different uh, w- with the wage structures the way they are with flexible hours and the whole way it's been torn asunder uh, 24-7 now I think they call it now where you're working weekends there's no overtime anymore do, they, do, they, do you think they look into that or do they not live in the real world? Well, I suppose the question to be asked is, they, do they look into it and ignore it, or do they just not know what's going on? I mean, the first thing I'd say there, you constantly hear uh, that middle income in Ireland is between fifty and 70,000. That's high income. The revenue statistics show that the average middle income in this country is between €25,000 a year and €40,000 a year. Mm-hmm. That's the reality. That's middle income in Ireland, and that's a, you know, that's a fair distance from 70000 euros per annum and if you look at the you know the changes that are being proposed in terms of tax in the UC, they're not progressive because all the benefits of those goes to high income earners mm-hmm. it doesn't go to those people be earning 25,000 up to 40,000 or all that group of people who are earning less than 25,000 euros a year and the second point is now you know we have to look at what type of jobs are we creating are we creating jobs that are giving guaranteed hours to people every week so they can make plans for their lives, so they can meet 
just their basic needs, your housing costs, your transport costs. Mm -hmm. And we're not because we're moving into a situation where you have a large group of people who don't know from one week to the next how many hours they're going to be working. It's very difficult for them to plan. They have contracts which are either zero hours or specify just a minimum number of hours per week. And how can someone you know, live their life like that. It makes it very difficult to plan. It would make it very difficult for anyone to go and get a mortgage, you know, for, to save because you're unsure of what your income is at all times. But what do you and the think, other point is... Sorry, go on, go on. It's, it's the state that's picking up the tab for those employers because then those people are reliant on social welfare or family income supplement for the hours that they're not working. Mm-hmm. So it's all of us that are picking up the tab for those employers that keep people in those sorts of situations of very precarious work. And why do you think we're not hearing as much from the left then on this subject to the extent where the myth has been perpetrated through most of the media, I have to say, as well, on the earnings of people? It's, it's just seems Absolutely. To be right and it seems that no one has actually, I mean, this is obviously, the, the revenue commissioners uh, publish these statistics every year. It's not as if you can't find it. It's not as if it, it these statistics are hidden away. It's just a decision has obviously been made somewhere to, you know, to put across the narrative that middle income in Ireland is between 50,000 and 70,000 euro. That's actually a high earner's income in Ireland. And even if you look at the median income of the state is less than 17,000 euro. That's the median income. So that's the person in the middle. Mm-hmm. So if, if you look at the statistics from the CSO and the revenue commissioners, you'll see what a real income is and a real average middle income is but as you say yourself you know it's disappointing to see that uh, the media haven't picked up on this or yeah. haven't challenged well, this assumption that that is what middle income is because that's high income it's not yeah. middle income and that's where I sort of think I mean as I say I've been talking to a lot of people over the past couple of months knowing all of course this was all going to be coming up and I was just waiting just waiting to see would it be picked up even as late as last night with the debate and it hasn't been and I doubt if it will be in the next three debates as I say I haven't heard that from the left and it sort of seems to put, you know, a kibosh on all this uh, crap, if you want to call it, of the USC and the advantage of scrapping it. It is necessary. I mean, people do say that those of us that are lucky enough to be working or were working are saying, well, we don't mind paying the tax if the services are there. But if they put us in a precarious yeah. position, if they do away with this and yeah. cut taxes and things go belly up in six months' time. So the, the, to me, the USC, no matter who's talking about scrapping it or whatever, is a sham. It's just a pure sham. Am I wrong there? It is. No, you're not. You're not wrong at all. Because what people want is a social wage. People are happy to pay their taxes as long as they get the services that they expect. So be that your primary care centre, not having to spend 20 hours on a trolley in A&E, access to public transport, so a bus or a train, access to childcare. Those are the people... Will, are willing to pay their taxes because that is social wage that you get in return. And the reality is the universal social charge um, 
any reductions in it are going to go to the highest income earners. Mm. It brings in far too much money to scrap for a start. It brings in over €4 billion Euro a year and you don't have any of those parties who are talking about scrapping it telling you where they're going to get that €4 billion Euro from. Because €4 billion Euro is half the education budget. So what are, you know, what are they going to take that €4 billion Euros from if they stop collecting the USC? Is it a billion from health, a billion from education, mm-hmm. a billion from social welfare? You know, there's no answer to that. And the other point I'd make is the USC is actually highly progressive because it's on your gross income. So obviously, the more income you earn, the more you pay. So the people that probably have the most issue with the USC are high income earners because there is no way to avoid it. It's actually a very well-designed tax. As the politicians themselves. Exactly. So it's very interesting to hear the people who are coming out against it. Generally, you know, it's it's people who have a vested interest because it's impacting them more. Mm-hmm. And as you say, you know, if you if they abolish the USC, which a lot of them are claiming they're going to do, and if interest rates rise and oil prices rise uh, in six, ten, twelve months' time, then where are we going to be? We're going to be right back where we were in two thousand eight with a massive hole in the public finances, mm-hmm. and there seems to be no sort of whether people don't want to discuss it or no planning for the future. The other thing is we're going to need enough, we're going to have an extra 25,000 children coming through the primary school system uh, by 2018, 17,000 at second level. And then they're going to go on into further and higher education. Yet we've cut the capital funding for schools and higher education. We've cut the the grants per student, you know, the the money that they get just to maintain the buildings. So we have slashed all those things in the education budget as well. So are we just not going to provide school places for those children or college places for those people? Exactly, but that's exactly how cynical I am when I say well that's why the recovery is there because of all these things and what's been lost in a bit of the fray as well and some of the questioning is where the money's going to come from you can hear little echoes when they say well we're going to uh, tax sugar uh, so I mean yeah. to me that would cost more than probably what people would pay in USC uh, on the lower scale uh, if they have to pay more for all these drinks and all like that now I know there's a debate about obesity but to me it's pure cash and money and hitting the, the poorer people again. Are are you taking any confidence from anything you've heard at all? (laughs) Well, what I am taking confidence is is it's the fact that people themselves they want to talk about services because, you know, since 2011 we've had the current government in situ and we had the, you know, people have borne a lot over the past eight years. They, They have put up with an awful lot. They've seen cuts to the services, cuts to their incomes, And now I think they're finally making their voice heard because people aren't really interested in tax cuts because unless you're earning a very significant amount of money, what you're going to get back is absolutely minuscule. And that cut has to come from somewhere. So that's going to come from some service that you actually rely on or maybe it'll come from an increased prescription charge, something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And what people want are services because they can see day in, day out the problems that we have in terms of our physical infrastructure and our social infrastructure. And I'm really happy that, you know, uh, candidates running are being put put under pressure on these issues and that the debate has actually moved on from tax cuts. Certain politicians want to focus the debate on tax cuts but I think the electorate is now forcing them to look at things like social housing, the homelessness crisis 
the health crisis, planning for those children who are coming to our school system and planning for our ageing demographic. You know, in less than 15 years time we're going to have 1 million people in this country who are over 65 and that's a really positive thing we're living longer but what we what you need for those people is more community services and more community healthcare services because rates of disability are strongly age related so how do you support older people with a disability to live in their community you, you need to put in the services now you need to put in the money now you can't wait for 15 years and then decide oh wow we, we have a lot of people aged over 65 what are we going to do about that do you think that and was, do you, sorry do you think it wasn't it rather uh, I think one of the statements was made last night that uh, they want to buy, get it to the stage where older people ha- can bypass A&E and be well looked after and uh, stuff like that. I mean, to me, that was uh, it's sort of going back to, uh, you know, fairyland. I mean, the way things are at the moment with trolleys and waiting lists for to, mm-hmm. to bring out a statement like that. But it, it shouldn't just be older people who can bypass A&E. Everyone should be able to bypass a I know, but even, even, even if you were to singular out that part of it, just for yeah. older people. Well, you know, if if you really want to do that, you need some money to do mm. it. Because in order to just stand still every year, and by stand still I mean be able to deliver the service that they deliver at the moment, the health service needs half a billion euro. It needs 500 million euro just to stand still. Do nothing else but to stand still. If you're going to start accounting for demographic change, you need another about 200 million euro. So you're looking at over 700 million euro, between seven and 800 million euro actually every single year. That's not even to really (laughs) develop the health service. That is to stand still and take account for the extra numbers of older people. But that money isn't being given to the health service every year. So, if so, you know, if some party promises that, well, where are they going to come up with the money to do it? Because it has to come from somewhere. Yes. And like you say, there's no point promising people things that you can't deliver. Oh, that's that's happening. I mean, that'll happen right up to the 26th of this month anyway. I mean, you'll get all these promises. <laughs> Whether people are going to be like myself and cynical and believe it or not, because the situation, as I said earlier on, is going to be so tenuous when you're depending from across Europe. Now, when you make Mm-hmm. representations yourself, social justice at Ireland. Um, I asked you this, I know, before. Do you think they really, p- some of the comments that were made last night in the course of the debate, to me, they don't listen to agencies like yourself or uh, the homeless agencies really at all, that they make up their mind and just bang ahead and once they get elected then they can sort of carry on the way they were anyway. And that's yeah, me, that's me being cynical now. So. <laughs> Well, it can be. I suppose it's, it can be disappointing because they're making political decisions. They're in the run-up to an election now, and I suppose what we will be focusing on then. I mean, we've produced an election briefing. We've actually have short briefings on most policy issues. If you mm-hmm. just go to socialjustice.ie, anybody that you know, there's just two pages on things like disability and health and all those issues. What we'll be focusing on is putting pressure on whoever is elected to really start addressing. The issues like how do you provide services and infrastructure? How do you have an equitable tax system? How do you deliver a vibrant economy and sustainable jobs for people? And how do you deal with the long-term unemployed? Those kind of issues because we can't ignore them. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and people are making promises now, uh, left, right and centre, about what they would do if they were elected. So it's, I suppose it's up to organisations like us and the electorate, the people who elect their local representatives, to keep the pressure on them to those who are elected and say, well, you know, these are the issues. What are you going to do about them? Because we had a lot of talk of reform in 2011 and all the major reforms that were going to take place and all the political reform that was going to take place. And none of that has happened. And I think people are a bit tired now at this point of all this reform being talked about yet it doesn't actually happen in -hmm. reality and yet it's you know you get the feeling that a lot of um, the people knocking on your door might be especially those if they are sitting in the current all are as you said earlier removed from the reality of people's Mm -hmm. lives on the ground and I would hope that maybe they get a bit of reality check and it will be up to us and other groups to keep the pressure on them to look at things like social housing how are you going to deal with the homeless crisis what about all those families living in hotels all those children Mm -hmm. living in hotels that is a national disgrace I mean the election should be fought on those issues not on the USC because abolishing the USC isn't going to get homes for those children. Maybe maybe we're going to hear much much more about that in the next four debates and I think where, where you say the people being tired, I think people are, are tired, all right, but I also think that there's, there's a seething anger beneath people. Mm-hmm. And I think if things don't happen quickly, and when I mean yeah. quickly, we're going to give them maybe a year, whoever gets in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if yeah. things don't happen quickly, I think they're going to see the wrath of, of the people. I really do. They are. I think whoever, they, they will be under pressure now to deliver because I think people have had enough. You know, people have dealt with enough. They've taken enough at this point. It, they feel, you know, even before the last budget, all the opinion polls are saying people actually wanted the issue of services addressed and they weren't really in reality, you know, that's still not happening. Happening, And I think whoever is elected and whoever makes up the government then, whatever parties, whether it's a couple of parties or a party and some independents, mm-hmm. we don't know, that they, they will be under severe pressure to start delivering results and start to show people that, you know, we are taking a more long-term view we're okay. using foresight. We're going to address these issues. Well, I hope that we talk to you again in the future, and I hope the next time that we're talking, we'll be on. Hey, hey, we found some people who keep. Their, <laughs> we found some people who keep their word. <laughs> I hope so too, Noel. I okay. hope so too. Thanks very much, Michelle. Always a pleasure talking to you. Give us the website again, where people can look up your proposals. It's socialjustice.ie, and the front page is the banner. General election. Everything is in there. Okay. Thanks very much, Michelle. Thanks, Noel. Thank you. Bye. And that is uh, Michelle Murphy, Research and Policy Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. And we go to a break.